Today on the Yakety Yak podcast, Tamara sat down with Peyton Hampton, who is currently a law student with aspirations to be a politician in the future. They talked about his early life on his grandfather's farm and the lessons he learned there, as well as his time as a hotshot firefighter. Enjoy. I happened upon firefighting. So I I will say that um, my family's background, there's always been a ton of manual labor, specifically farming. And so all through high school, I worked on a farm, whether it was at first my grandpa's farm up in Preston during the summers. Um, Bailing or, hay. And- uh, so back then I was uh, not responsible enough to <laughs> actually run anything serious, but like moving sprinkler pipe, yeah, hauling the, like hauling the, and you know, his, his was kind of a smaller operation. So, uh, he didn't have like the big bales that you could use the tractor to load. They were the smaller ones that you had to you throw, throw on a trailer by hand. Um, and, uh, those were really fun and valuable experiences. Actually, my grandpa's taught me so much about how to work hard and play hard because, um, we would, you know, get up at four o'clock in the morning and move sprinkler pipe. We'd haul hay um, but in the heat of the day, you know, it's, it's work smarter, not harder. That's when like it's time that. to find some shade and, uh, or go fishing, you know? And so we would, we would go fishing or when he didn't have a water turn to run a sprinkler pipe and there wasn't any, any you know, anything pressing going on, we'd go fishing. So, uh, That's but anyways, so, you know, growing up, I was doing that. I worked for my neighbor for a long time, actually. And that's when I got to you know, run equipment and which was really fun, but also do more irrigation type stuff. Um, but my neighbor was a firefighter. Huge life lessons of, of, in farming though, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you learn how to work. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, even in high school during the summer, a lot of times I would be doing 80 hour work weeks, which, you know, I don't even know if that's legal but (laughs) i think farmers get an exception for all kinds of stuff because i was i was allowed to drive stuff when i was like 14 because they said there's an exception for if it's a farm vehicle you just it's pretty much a free pass (laughs) so So, driving tractors so yeah we were driving i was driving tractors i was driving four-wheelers you know to go to the different fields and stuff um uh and yeah the, the life lessons were great i mean part of it was just other than the hard work was uh, just the responsibility of it. Um, you know, they would they would ask me to do something. You know, go go cut this field, go cut the hay in this field, and that was it. Was more than just cutting. It was more than just driving the tractor to to go and cut the hay. You know, you got to go and you got to um, make sure all the knives on the cutter oh, are, operating. You know, are operating correctly and and replace those, uh, changing the oil on a regular basis when it was due, uh, making sure you were fueled up and, and, you know, anybody who's driven and operated a tractor very much knows that there's like a million grease circs that you have to keep greased up all the time. Um, and, and honestly, part of the reason I learned responsibility is because, uh, I had to learn the hard way a few times, you know, what it was like (laughs) to not do that. And then, you know, somebody would have to tell me, Hey, look, you've, you're supposed to, You're supposed to you fix know, this or... do this maintenance regularly and stuff. But um, 
so it was it was really fun because there was a lot of autonomy you know they'd give me a lot of times enough work for the whole day and then just kind of set me loose bring me some lunch at lunchtime and, and you just be by yourself in a field a lot of the time yeah i mean and other times you know we'd be working on on projects together that involved you know a bunch of us but um i i had i worked for some really great people my neighbors they owned they ha- they ran some head of beef but they also had a, a dairy farm and I've so heard dairy farms are a lot of work they it was a lot of work and and it's i think the reason that dairy farms are so much work is because you have regular stuff that happens that has to ha- be done every single day yeah. like clockwork and then you have all of the other stuff that you've got to do to make sure that you can do those regular daily things just simple things like um, uh, feeding the cows, it's unbelievable how much work has to go into that because you have to uh, have alfalfa hay and you have to have um, grain corn and silage corn and silage hay. So you have to harvest all these all these things, store them away. Oh, so they would grow all of their... Yeah, so you... or I mean, their feed. sometimes if they couldn't get enough of something for some reason, they'd buy it. But most of the time... As far as I remember, we were growing everything ourselves, and then the only thing that we didn't grow was uh, basically this vitamin mix that, they would that we would add. But you actually add the the feed in weights because these cows have their own nutritionist. We would have a nutritionist that would come. Really, and, was it, were they milking cows or? Yeah, milking cows to get the maximum production out of them that you can. And so the nutritionist comes. He tells you, you know. Your cows need, you know, this much of silage hay, this much of silage uh, corn, this much grain corn, this much dry <laughs> I, I alfalfa didn't hay. It was that complicated. And you put it in a truck by weight with another tractor, and then you mix and it. And you, you mix, mix in the the vitamin mix, and then uh, you put it. You, you take the truck and it uses a little conveyor belt to dump it in a trough that you drive next to, you know, a really long trough, like maybe even two or three hundred feet long, and then. And then it would just the cows are go down the line. really happy to, mm-hmm. you know, eat the food, and uh, you have to keep the the cow pens clean, so that they have a, a place that they can be without, you know, being more susceptible to disease or yeah, they need or, a clean environment or yeah, or getting you know sick because of being cold because there's nowhere dry for them to be. Do they have to be milked twice a day? So at the very cows. minimum, twice a day, uh, sometimes three times a day. Luckily for me, um, and hopefully, you know, the people I worked for never listened to this because uh, I was always happy that they never really made me milk the cows very much. So, so hand milking? Uh, or did they so have machines? They had machines and they actually, when I first got to this farm, um, they were just barely putting in a new barn that could milk 16 cows at a time, um, which was a great improvement over the previous <laughs> barn, which I think you could milk four at a time. Oh, okay. And so, but the there were machines and all you had to do, and I say all, I mean, it's there's a lot that goes into it, but but uh, you get the, the cows to come in from the herd, you put them uh-huh. in this barn, they line up in these lines, and then you put them in these stalls. And when you get them into the stall, you have to clean them off yeah. and then put the milkers on. Um and by the time you go around and do that for 16 cows, <laughs> it's time for the next, 16 the next 16 to come in. Pretty, I mean, there's a little bit of waiting. And luckily, a lot of it is automated now. So, for example, the milkers go on. Um, when they're done, they drop off by themselves. And they, 
get sucked nice. up into the machine. So, and then the cow could leave. Um, and, uh, but I mean, as an aside, I think the cows were always very relieved to, <laughs> to be were. milked because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. they, they produced a lot of milk. So, I bet they did. They yeah. were fed well and managed yeah. well. Yeah. And, uh, but to your question, um, they, most, most barns would milk at least twice a day. Um, I do know some that would do three, three a, times day. a day and th- that was even harder because um, those barns specifically, you had to basically do one that was in the middle of the night. So oh, to, to get, to get, right. To get the three in. So, um, but luckily we so didn't do that. Work. So I didn't have to worry about it, but, but you learned some great lessons as a child and it was a teenager, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of them was like, holy cow, there's real consequences to my actions. Like I have responsibility and, um, you know, for example, uh, you're already getting put in situations where that are a little bit dangerous for sometimes, sure. you know, equipment, you know, running, running large and... equipment and stuff. Uh, so you have to be conscientious of what you're doing and pay attention. And so, Absolutely. yeah, I learned a ton just from that experience alone. That's great. And so then you went from being on a farm to a whole new career. Yeah. Um, so, and like I said, I kind of fell into it. Um, my neighbor was a volunteer firefighter in my little community that I lived in. Our little uh, volunteer fire department covered our community and a couple of neighboring farming communities. Um, and, you know, it's it was before my, my mission. And uh, honestly, like, I just thought it sounded like fun. And they said, you know, hey, you can come and we'll give you training and stuff. And that kind of got my foot in the door. And um, at that time, that was more, we did a little bit of wildland firefighting, but mostly what we were doing was more, um, you know, medical type stuff or car accidents or occasionally, you know, a house fire or something like that. Um, You mentioned medical, medical, what would be a medical fire? So, uh, well, um, so... um, what I meant by that was like oh. responding, like his first responders oh, par- to, paramedic. yeah, to like someone um, having medical difficulties. Since we were a small community, we actually didn't transport people to the hospital. We actually, we would get there first, oh. start treatment, and then the ambulance would have to come from another city oh, to, to come go get to, them. So you're, I, so you're also a first responder. I didn't exactly. realize that. Yeah. So, um, and, and uh, so I ended up getting my EMT later on. Um, as kind of a part of that experience. Was that before your mission? Um, so I didn't become an EMT until after my mission. That's um, great. And actually, it, it it's part of the reason that I ended up being a hotshot is because of that EMT certification. So I started out like that, and, and I had my first encounter with a hotshot crew while I was a volunteer. I went out on a, a smaller wildland fire um, in Box Elder County, and these these hot shots showed up and I just couldn't believe how hard they worked and how efficiently they worked. Um, and now I know, looking back, that they were definitely showing off. Oh, were they? Oh, for sure. Like, because hot shots are kind of the same as farmers work, work smarter, not harder. A hot shot team, what makes it a hot shot team and what's different about them versus... Volunteer firefighters. Yeah, so the jump from volunteer firefighting to wildland firefighting is already a pretty different job. Is it? Okay. Um, you know, because 
volunteer firefighters, those guys, I mean, I have a lot of respect for them. They, they kind of do it all and they do it on the side because they all have, you know, their main, their main jobs and stuff going on. Um, these people, you know, they, they are, so when you get to the wildland firefighting world, you've got a lot of people that do that full time that work for, um, you know, federal land agencies like the BOM or the Forest Service. Um, a lot of people work for like county governments or state governments. Um, so after my mission, I actually at first worked for the state of Utah. And so then I guess the jump from, so wildland firefighters, all they're doing, I shouldn't say all, but because they do a lot of stuff too, but they're totally focused on wildfires. And so unlike, you know, a structure, like a city fire department that, you know, is handling a lot of different things, um, uh, wildland firefighters oftentimes are traveling a lot longer distances to go to... For a where, longer time, Yeah, right? for longer periods of time. Um, and then, uh, so within that world, there's a few different things that are going on. You have what are called type 2 fire crews which are they're they kind of structurally set up the same as hotshot crews um they just don't have as much training or as high of uh physical qualifications there's smoke jumpers which are generally federal in fact i think all of them are are, uh, federal never even heard Um, that term before so those guys they tend to um be going after what we call initial attack where you've got a small fire and it's in a really remote place and they go. Oh, and they jump into it. And they, yeah, they'll jump out of a, out of a plane with their parachute and with all their equipment and go in and, and try to catch those while they're small. Um, Generally the, the regular fire crews, like the type two crews or the hotshot crews, those are when you're showing up to fires that have usually gotten a little bit, or a lot, a lot bigger. bigger. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we would be traveling a long distance to get there. So we were based out of Logan, especially the hotshot crews. The Type 2 crews, a lot of times, are more local. The hotshot crews, one of the things that sets them apart is that they're available everywhere. Um, and so uh, while I was a hotshot, we went to Minnesota, we went to Alaska, we went to Canada. Um, and pretty much everywhere in the Western United States. And was that as a full-time employee of of the Forest of Service? The forest yeah. Service. Oh, okay. So uh, it is. It depends on what position you're in. Um, some of them are more temp or season. I shouldn't say temporary. Seasonal. Seasonal. So, for example, I was only empl- employed for about six months out of the year doing that. Um, but when I was employed, it was way more than a full-time job. It was. In fact, most people that do that job, that's what they like about it is they can get all their work done in five or six months and then enjoy the rest of the year. Um, and, you know, a lot of those guys, including myself, love to like, you know, ski in the winter and stuff so, so they can just, focus on mm-hmm. that kind of stuff or they'll work another job or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we we would work uh, a pretty normal week was more than 100 hours of work a week and you were gone all the time probably yeah so uh generally the limitation is that you can be on a fire for 14 days and then you time out and you have to 
go home for two days, um, not counting travel. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? So sometimes if things were really like if 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 nationally there was a lot going on and they were really low on people, they would let you stay for 21 days and then you'd have to go home. How long are your credentials valid after you do something else? I mean, could you be called back in if there was a natural disaster or something? Um, well, I mean, I'm not employed with them anymore, but um, as far as my credentials go, like I think, I think that I could renew them pretty easily. Um, but there is a lot of training and certification that goes into it. Um, and that's actually a really good question. I'm not sure. I know my EMT license is lapsing this month. Is it? Are you going to yeah, renew it? I'm not going really? to. Really? After all of that work? It's, it, it was a lot of work, but um, it, it also, uh, I think that I had to do over 100 hours of oh. training to keep it up. And I and just, just wasn't, I just wasn't anywhere close and just don't have anywhere close to the, the time that's needed. A lot of those skills are perishable, but you know, the basic import, most important stuff, you know, I still remember. And, uh, so if I really need to use those skills, then, then, then you've got them. Hopefully they'll still be there. How, how many years did you serve? Uh, so as a, as, as, a, as a hot shot, as a hot I did shot. it for three years. Three years. Yeah. And, uh, basically, uh, they say that, um, you're a real hot shot if you do it for two because that's when they give you uh, the belt buckle with the the crew logo on oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so you've got that. So I've got that. And uh, so once a hot shot, always a hot shot. That's awesome. You've done a lot in your young life. You decided, so you have your EMT or you've got the skills. Yeah. And then you were a firefighter for a couple of years. Yeah. And you worked a farm and you served a mission. I did. Where did you serve your mission? I served my mission in uh, Finland which was awesome. I bet it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous there. In fact, um, I think I read an article uh, a while back that said that Finland is the most Instagrammable place (laughs) in the planet. (laughs) Yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, I took my wife there. Oh, you did? About a year and a half ago. And we just had a blast because uh, it is truly uh, an amazing place it's so beautiful and it's so clean um and the people there uh well i wouldn't say that they're necessarily friendly from the get-go once you make a friend (laughs) they're lifelong it's yeah it's a lifelong friend Uh, i still talk to people over there frequently um and just yeah i really love that place it's awesome really neat it sounds like relationships are very important to you yeah, I would agree with that. Because you've talked about relationships and the importance of them and the things that you've learned from people that you've met along the way. Uh-huh. What, what was your undergraduate degree in? Um, I did my undergraduate degree at Utah State, and I did a double major in law and constitutional studies and economics. Interesting. What are, you gonna, what are your plans? Uh, well, I'm, so I'm currently pursuing a law degree. I'm in my first year at the University of Utah um, and uh, yeah I so basically um, my undergraduate degree while very awesome information has very little bearing on what I'm doing now <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like it was more it's just interesting because it sounds like your younger years were pretty service focused uh-huh 
in terms of helping people and, you know, taking care of people. And then you studied political science and government. Yeah, and economics. Which is still service. I, I understand that, kind of. What are you wanting to do in your future then with your law degree? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest, I, I want to be a litigator. And uh, I've always been fascinated by courtrooms and, and making good arguments. And so I think it will just be super fun and super interesting to, you know. Criminal laws. Probably civil litigation type stuff. Um, they say that, I've heard it said at least that um, litigation is is uh, like fixing broken things. And I like, like fixing broken that? things. So, or, or maybe better said is like fixing fixing problems so because civil litigation happens when there's two parties and they have a, a and dispute they have a so will, will your focus be i mean you're not headed for divorce court right no i think uh, it will be more like um uh, like commercial or business type disputes corporate disputes yeah <laughs> uh, contract law could be contract law i had i did have my contracts class my first semester of law school Really enjoyed it. Medical malpractice, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of, options open. all of that kind of stuff. I think is really I know common um, when you're doing litigation. What interested you in law? That's a good question. What about the courtroom? I really like history. I've always liked history. Um, people that know me know that most of the books that I've read in my life have probably had some kind of history or government focus are you a by the book kind of guy i don't know that's a good question <laughs> i don't know if i i think that's probably a better question to ask like my wife or <laughs> right. my friends I'm, i i don't know if i'm a by the book kind of guy but but like i mean with my background in political science like i think a lot of my fascination with the law is like been reading about the formation of of government and the theory behind government and how government should work um and so and i and you know i also think maybe i like the law because i'm opinionated and uh, <laughs> people people with opinions you know make the law so yeah, yeah that is true that is true so if you wanted to go that direction then do you see politics in your future oh i i think i definitely see some politics in my future it's probably a question of when rather than than if. if because yeah i'm very i'm very interested in in how what how government policy affects everyday life and i actually think i get more of that from my economics background because of how much you learn about incentives and what what mm -hmm. makes people do what they do and and i think government can have can play a huge role in in, it sounds like I'm gonna say like manipulating people, but <laughs> controlling people. but not but but like uh, you know what's good policy and what's bad policy based on the effect that it's gonna have on the choices that people make. That makes a lot of sense. An economics background. What about economics? Do you like? Oh man, there's a really great podcast called Planet Money, and 
it's all about economics. Um, but I think the interesting thing about it is I think people would think maybe it'd be kind of boring or like not about real life stuff, but it's about all kinds of real life stuff. And I don't think people even realize how much economics affects their everyday life. It might affect their everyday life more than almost any other it's so area true. of study because the deci- like every decision you make has incentives behind true. it. You know, you go to the grocery store and uh, there's prices everywhere. And I mean, that's a pretty simple example, but you're going to make your decision based on probably the quality of what you're buying, how much it costs and what people think of what you're going to buy. Right. What you think of what you're going to buy. Your traditions and your family. Your traditions, your family. So there's a lot of incentives at play um, and... That's what economics is all about. There's a lot of really interesting things that are counterintuitive maybe at first that economics can help us understand about why people do stuff when it seems to fly in the face of all reason. <laughs> of all reason, it's so, so true. And, and as, a, as an attorney, then you'd like to be on the flip side, being able to help create, create laws that influence the economy or enforce them or both? Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Honestly, like, I think that to some extent, I want to be able to say I know exactly what I want to do as an attorney. Uh, in other ways, who knows? I I think the one great thing about getting a law degree is I think the world is your oyster and true. you can go and make of it what you want. It's so true. I know a lot of attorneys, well, not a lot, several who have degrees and never actually practice law. Uh-huh. Went right into politics yep. or business or something else. So many people, yeah. I think, especially the business side, um, I think a lot of people do their JD as a, kind of a substitute for getting an MBA. And then, yeah, you then this, you can go do all kinds theirs. of stuff with that. Yeah. As you think about your future plans, then, I mean, you're only in your second year or second semester, right? Yeah. So you've got a couple of years still to go to think about it. Where do you want to? Where do you want to be? Three years, five years. Oh man, that's a good question. I think hopefully in five years, um, I'll be practicing law and kind of figuring out what I want to do as far as because it's really easy to say I want to do litigation or I want to do, you know, um, corporate law or or I want to do criminal law but I think once you get there there's even more specific things within that that you can figure out what interests you what's there a demand for you know what kind of services can you provide that people actually need and um, then like really specialize because you know in a lot of ways um, for example Lawyers are a lot like doctors, except that I think doctors get a lot more of their specialization in school. Whereas lawyers, some people will, uh, you know, study one thing in law school to the extent that you can specialize and then end up doing something, something completely, completely different. different. So I think that in five years, I hope that I know where I'm going and not waiting for it to fall into my lap. Because I think that's another important thing is not, not just... Uh, waiting for stuff to happen to you, but being proactive and going out and and finding 
what it is that you want to do. Well, and it sounds like your experiences your during your youth have prepared you for that. I mean, you can't wait for something to be broken and then react, right? Because it right. takes a lot more time then. You have well, to I mean, sometimes it's good for, for stuff to, to break because then you have an excuse to fix it. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And you can learn a lot of good lessons along the way. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's exciting. You're in an exciting time in your life. Oh, yeah. Just starting your for family. Sure. How long have you guys been married? Um, we've been married for getting really close to three years. That's fantastic. So everything's new. Everything's starting. Yeah. It's really exciting. Is it? I mean, do you have any great advice for people in your shoes? Honestly, wanting to do what you've done? My big advice is because I foresaw for a long time going to law school. That was pretty much always my plan. However, I I just recommend that people be be a little loose and pursue opportunities that are presented to you. Um, and always, probably my biggest thing is to always have something that you're doing that's pushing you a little bit. There's a lot of things that aren't easy, but if you spend a lot of time not challenging yourself, that's just time that you lost, you know, making yourself better and you know challenging yourself that can that can happen in so many different ways i mean and it's also probably a really personal thing because different things are challenging to different people yeah that's true have have you been a goal setter is that something that has helped you i've never been someone that has written a lot of goals down but i have always had ideas in my mind i think of of uh what i want to do like for example um, when I, de- I decided that day a long time ago as a young volunteer firefighter that I wanted to be on a hotshot crew and, um, it, it actually took some concerted effort to do that, but I never wrote it down. But it was, was just something that I wanted to do and I planned on doing. I knew that there were certain things that they really looked for. One of them was that you were willing to, uh, put in a lot of effort to be physically fit. They weren't looking for people that could pass the bare minimums of the fitness tests. They were looking for uh, people that wanted to compete, you know, and, and make everything into a race. And they wanted that personality. Yeah. And so uh, I actually, the guy that, you know, the superintendent of my crew that ended up hiring me, you know, I actually talked to him about, you know, what, what can I do to be a good candidate for this job? Um, and uh, one of the things he said is we're always looking for people that have medical qualifications. So I did my EMT um, to get onto the hotshot crew. And that was one of the things that helped me out the very most. Um, the other thing was uh, they would do, group workouts during the off season, during the the winter and spring. And I would show up um, and do those workouts with them and, and prove that I could at least hang with those guys. Um, and so just proactively going after what I wanted to do, and it ended up being uh, one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. You, you I lo- what I love about you is you've got tons of confidence where did the confidence come from to, to be able to go out and work out with those guys and put yourself out there to go and ask what 
what do I need to do to be on this team? Where did you come? Where did it come from? That's a good question. I honestly, I think a lot of the time I was scared to death and really nervous to do those things. But I think that's why it's so important to take those first steps and challenge yourself and go after the things that you want. Because ultimately, um, when when you've had a couple of victories, even when they're small, uh, I think the confidence really starts to build and grow. Just in the baby steps, the little yeah, things that you do. For sure. On a daily basis, and then you just gain from it. Yeah. I, I think that's great. Did one of your parents, are your parents pretty confident? They, they always yeah, they're, could, they're confident people. My my mom is very nice about it, but she's she's a confident lady, and my dad's always been a confident guy. So, so you had great role models. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you, Peyton. It's been fun to talk to you. Do you have any last words? Last words. <laughs> Closing thoughts. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, people are already ready you know, to stop listening to me, so I'll, <laughs> I'll probably spare them uh, any more any more, any more words? Actually, no, I will say one thing. Okay. Um, uh, there's a, there's a thing I was thinking about today, you know, as I was, as I was coming here for this interview and there's a quote and it's actually at hires big H in Salt Lake, but it says everybody needs somebody to love something to do and something to look forward to. I love that. And Honestly, I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, that kind of makes sense because if you got a purpose and you have somebody to share it with or a lot of people to share it with for that matter, it doesn't have to be one person and and something that you're looking forward to, that's the spice of life and you're doing good things and you're going to be happy. So. It's, it's so true. I love that.